We'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're looking at is our continuation in discipleship living. So if you're not familiar with discipleship living after the service, if you go to our website, you'd be able to just look and to see what that's about. It's an opportunity for you to grow in an incremental way each day, meaning, you know, five to ten verses a day. And it's a helpful study. And also when we come together, our studies here are very complementary to what we're learning. So this morning, the title of the message is The Workman's Walk from Ephesians chapter 4. And we like to begin by reading a few of the verses. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Father, we're asking as we've prayed and continue to pray that your word today would accomplish your purposes in our lives. So again, we pray if there's anything in our hearts, God, that is troubling us. If there's anything, Lord, that I have done personally or have failed to do that is creating a roadblock in anybody's heart right now, forgive me and allow there to be just that open reception to your word. We pray that you'd accomplish great things to our children and back, to our junior high students, with our high school students later today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, you see you have a handout there that you might look at as we continue on. The first point that we're looking at as we consider the first six verses is a walk worthy of your calling. I'd like to bring an illustration right away. It has to do with Alexander the Great. I'm not certain if this illustration, I couldn't find verification of it, but I love it. So the illustration regarding Alexander the Great goes this way. As you may know, Alexander the Great conquered the known earth, and he finished that in his, about his mid-30s or so. And one time during his battles, as they were encamped, and he was to be asleep, Alexander the Great could not go to sleep. He was stirred up, and he started walking around. As he walked around the camp area where his soldiers were, he was walking upon a soldier whose duty was to be awake and to be on guard and to protect the troops. This soldier had nodded off asleep. As Alexander the Great was walking towards this soldier who was supposed to be on duty and had nodded off, the soldier heard someone come and he awoke. It was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great walks up to this soldier who now is standing. And as he's standing, Alexander the Great says to the soldier, Soldier, what is your name? And the soldier said, Sir, Alexander. And Alexander the Great repeated the question immediately. Soldier, what is your name? He said, Sir, Alexander. Alexander the Great, more intently and more deliberately and with a louder tone, said, Soldier, what is your name? And he said, Sir, 
Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great said, soldier, you either change your conduct or change your name. Wow. Because obviously he had the same name as Alexander the Great. And I think when we look in our study today and we see the very beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, what we're learning right, right now is our walk with God. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, holding the name of a Christian, we must consider our walk. And in fact, would Jesus Christ come and wonder whether we were his or not? Now, when we're looking at our study this morning, again, a walk worthy of your calling, the first six verses, just as a quick overview, as we've been going through Ephesians, Ephesians has six chapters. The first three deal with doctrine. The last three deal with duty or our response to what is being said. Another author, a Bible teacher, said the book can be divided into our wealth, into our walk, and into warfare. Three W's. You can tell that was a pastor that wrote that commentary. When we're looking here this morning and we're seeing in chapter 4, verse 1, we're being called to a walk worthy of our calling. And we must right now at this moment look back and to see in chapter 1 of Ephesians. In chapter 1, there's a list of wonderful blessings, our wealth in Christ that has been given to us. In chapter 1, verse 4, you'll notice it says that Jesus, he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasures of his will. What we learned, and I appreciate the prayer today, but in Genesis, the very first verse, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What the Bible is communicating to us, that before Genesis 1.1, if we follow the text in Ephesians 1.4, we're learning that God wanted us. He chose us before the foundations of this world. And That is a blessed truth to live. And let that just feed your heart and soul. What that means is how significant each one of us are to the Lord. How much he loves us. In other words, we're not some, you know, we didn't persuade God by our life. There wasn't something coming from our life that attracted God to saying, well, that person certainly needs to be saved. It's in the realm of God. It's in the realm of eternity. And we just get a little glimpse. And in a sense, what it's being said here is not so much as though I'm really going to comprehend it because I don't. But what I do when I read this, I believe it. So to comprehend that, it's pretty difficult to comprehend something like that. But I believe it. So what I believe is that God loves me and he loves you and God chose you. He chose me before anything came into existence. The Bible tells us that his thoughts towards us are more than in number. And as we went through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we saw the development of a mystery. On Wednesday, we talked about a mystery. But the mystery is revealed. The mystery is the church. The church wasn't communicated until after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
They were thinking Christ would be establishing his kingdom on earth. The scriptures say that there was a mystery, a mystery that even the demonic realm and the angelic realm, Satan himself had no idea of, that God was going to bring forth, birth forth a church. And the church, that means called out ones. So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. People repent and they receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And God says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. And God says, I got a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. In other words, the message initially came to Israel. And as Christ died upon the cross, and as he said, it is finished, and his blood was shed, it was for the whole world. And he says, the world is going to bring the message. The message is for Jew and Gentile alike, and it's going to go into the entire world. And this is where we're at. We're, we're living in that, in that mystery that we know right now. How wonderful it is of God to bring forth the church. So back in chapter 4 and verse 1, when he's speaking about our walk and our relationship to him and our relationship to others, if we look again back in the text that we read in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, we see that there's some specific points. Notice that knowing all of this, it doesn't cause us to want to be, in a sense, prideful or self-righteous. As a matter of fact, the opposite is what God is looking for in our lives. He is saying in verse 2, I am looking for men and women that have a relationship with me. They're born again. What their walk will look like is a walk of lowliness or a walk of humility, a walk of gentleness, a, lo- a walk with long suffering, a walk where we're bearing one another up in love. And in this, there's the work of unity. Now, when we're looking again at this walk worthy of our calling and we're seeing how could this take place, I laugh. I think God is extremely comical in many ways. You see, one of the more contemporary terms, and by that I mean it's been in play for 25 years probably, but the word is dysfunctional. And when the word was first introduced, you know, through the psychological channels and and other things like that, that word dysfunctional means that there's some people that really have a pretty strange life or upbringing, and you kind of heard them, you're one of the dysfunctionals. That's how it's presented. Am I dysfunctional? No, they're dysfunctional. That's how it's presented. But until you begin to experience this humility in verse 2, and this gentleness, you realize as a believer, you belong to the best dysfunctional family in the world, the body of Christ. I mean, it's really true. It's absolutely true. When you realize the world that we were in, the world, the ungodly world, the world that we traffic in, we were in the world, and now we're in Christ. When we were in the world, we were part of the world, and then now we're in Christ, and then in Christ, You're hanging out with people you never would hang out with before. I mean, when you really realize that, and some of you are saying, look, maybe you're speaking about yourself, okay? But I just don't kind of see that that way. Okay, let me help you out a little bit, okay? If right now, if right now we were in some way able to cast your thoughts just for the last 30 minutes up on the overhead screen in front of everybody, you would move next to the person you're sitting you would you would move. It's like, whoa, that, that person's thinking that? That went through his mind or her mind or whatever else? Listen, 
This is the great thing about God's grace. We're out of order. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. We're out of order. And then God comes and he saves us by his grace and he changes us. You know, it's interesting. They did a different survey and I was paying attention to this one particular one. And they were asking, if you could change something about your life, what would you change? And the number one response was appearance. People would change their appearance. They weren't happy with how they looked. I thought that was interesting. This is pretty funny. I take my grandson. We've been doing this for a couple of years, but on Thursdays we go out before school and we do a little study together and just have a good time together. Well, this Thursday... We're actually sitting on some stools, not in our normal seat. So my face was closer to him. And he was looking at me and we're listening to First Kings on tape. And he's just looking at me and, and he goes, oh, Papa, what's this? And I knew he wasn't pointing at my chin. He's pointing below my chin. But uh, I didn't really want to go there. I didn't really want to go there. So I says, well, you know, that's my chin. He goes, no, no, I know your chin is. What's that right there? And he just starts kind of like wiggling it around and stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, you know, I've been studying this with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. So it's just like, he's just kind of like wiggling it. And he says, no, what's that, Papa? And I go, I don't know really what to call it. He goes, maybe we should call it like a turkey gobbler. Would you? <laughs> he says, I know this great-grandfather, and he has one, but, but his is a little bit bigger than your turkey gobbler. And, I, and then he says... <laughs> says, you know, when I, when I become a grandpa, I hope that I can have one of those. And I go, no. I go, no, you don't, you, don't, you don't really hope that. You don't really hope that at all. And um, <laughs> welcome to my world. <laughs> what would you change about your life? <laughs> so... <laughs> You, you, you bring these out because if you really realize how common we all are, the commonality of our lives and our frailties and our insecurities, I mean, until you really realize, like, and, and I say this fairly often at home, but it's like, listen, I'll see you at the finish line. In other words, when this life is over, just I'll see you at the finish line because it'll, it'll all make sense then. It doesn't necessarily make sense right here. A lot of things in this life, but I'll see you at the finish line because I'm in it. We're committed to this. We know what God's called us to do, and we're headed that way. I'll see you at the finish line. It'll all make sense then. So I can even know how to explain some things. But the finish line, we don't have any questions. Back to a walk worthy of your calling. It was really interesting because when you're seeing this idea of unity that's being talked about, and we're going to read down a few more verses, and then it's going to come together. But in verse 7, again, of Ephesians 4, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descends is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And we read that and you're thinking, what? Jesus Christ came to earth. He had a specific work to accomplish for us, and that is salvation. These verses can also be applied, I believe, in some ways 
towards his resurrection as it would be applied to 1 Peter 3.18, also to Luke 16. But in context right here, looking at what, is, what he's saying, he's saying, as now, Paul says, I'm a prisoner. I belong to Christ. I am sold out for Christ. And he's in prison. He's got soldiers next to him. He's chained, probably. At least that's what the commentators say. And he's providing witnesses all the time. And he's saying, listen, from prison, man, have a walk worthy. Be humble. Be gentle. It's going to be, this Christian life, it's a long life. It's a long-suffering life. But we need to bear up one another in love. And this is going to bring a sense of unity. And then he speaks about the deity or the Godhead and the unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, united in one. There's one voice. There's one God that we have. And therefore, this mystery, the body of Christ, there's one body of Christ. So all believers in Jesus Christ are in one body. Amen? All believers are in one body. Now, in the day that we live currently right now, obviously we have, you're attending, Calvary Chapel. And there's many other churches that believe God and believe Jesus and believe the Bible and honor God and praise God for them and pray for them. And when you drive by, even though their ministry philosophy can be a little different than ours, that's okay. There may be fellowships that are right on with Jesus, teaching the word of God, and they just are far more expressive and far more explosive in worship and other things like that. Praise God. And there's others that would be less than what we are, but praise God if they're believers and they're believing in God and teaching the word, praise God. If they're not, then ask God to send their congregation here or somewhere else that they can get God's word, okay? So when we're looking at this, we're one in the body of Christ. And this is a great miracle to see how God has brought us together as one. When we read the verse, by his grace, Christ came to earth, he died, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, He's at the right hand, and he's the one that distributes gifts. Now listen, when you get a gift, when you get a gift, a wrapped gift, I mean, you're kind of excited, but you're wondering whether or not you're going to like the gift, and you're hoping the receipt's in the gift, just in case. And that's why I think gift cards have exploded, because how can you go wrong with that? But the other person said, well, you didn't really think very much about me if all I got was a gift card. Okay, whatever. See at the finish line. See at the finish line. It's the thought. But the idea is if you had a gift and you're opening it all up and it is not something that you don't necessarily like, you put on this marvelous fake of that is so cool. I don't have one of those or whatever because you're trying to react towards that. Well, when we look here, and you see in verse 7, but to each one of us, grace, a gift has been given. Christ never gives a bad gift. He gives you the gift that is best for you. Every gift is a right-on gift. It's the absolute gift you need. It's the absolute gift that's going to bless you. It's the absolute gift that you're going to use. So when we come down to verse 11, and again, what we're looking at here is we see a walk worthy. That means there needs to be humility in our lives. We need to take an account of the unity in the, in the Godhead, in the Trinity, the unity within the body of Christ. It's taking place uh, there for us. Christ accomplished this work here on earth. He ascended into heaven. He's giving gifts. Now, look at verse 11, and he says, and this is how we walk 
with these grace gifts. Christ is the giver of all the gifts. But look at verse 11. There's specific servant gifts. So he says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and then some pastor teachers, which we would look at this as four specific gifts that are given. Verse 12, why? Well, it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, for us as men, we've been going through this discipleship study on faith by Pastor Chuck Smith. It's been a tremendous blessing to us. We just finished chapter 19. There's just a couple chapters left. Let me read to you what Pastor Chuck wrote regarding these days right now. He says in the book on faith, page 284, we are living in one of the most exciting ages in the history of man. But it is also one of the most difficult periods of history in which to live a truly dedicated, committed Christian life. I doubt that worldly influences have ever been stronger. I believe that it is harder to live for Jesus Christ now than it was in the days when they were feeding Christians to the lions. A lot of us have the kind of commitment and tenacity to die for Jesus Christ. But are we able to live for Jesus in a degenerate and a corrupt age? Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Living in an age of materialism and opulence does not help anyone to live a dedicated, committed Christian life. Amen? So from his perspective, he's saying these days in which we live, from his perspective, would be far more intense than those who laid the foundations of our faith and have walked the walk. You know, we get excited, and we should, when we look in Hebrews and in other places and we see these men and women of faith through the word of God, we're excited, I am, to see brothers and sisters who did God's work. It's recorded for us. They lived for the Lord. Are you not excited to have that kind of fellowship up there? Certainly our fellowship with Jesus, and, but with the saints, with the believers. That's exciting. But did you ever think of this? Did you ever think, listen, did you ever think that some of these that we read about now, might they also be ex- as excited or more excited to see you? We ran the race. We handed the baton off to you. We weren't certain on what would happen. You stayed the course. You ran the race. You fought the Bibles. Bibles. You kept the Bible. You read the Bible. But you fought the battles. The battles are for the Bible. But they, I would think, just in my own thinking, we're going to rejoice about Jesus. And anything about Jesus, anything that glorifies Jesus here on earth, and your steadfast faith does. It glorifies the Lord. So what we see here is the Lord, uh, through his word, is helping us understand how all of this came into being. So we have the day of Pentecost. The church is born. Then you have these leaders. There's evangelists that are out there. There's prophets, pastor teachers. They are proclaiming the word of God, and people are getting saved. And now they're starting churches. Church means called out ones. And this is something that was never known. It's in play. It's happening today. There's an expiration date for the church. There's a time when the work of the church is completed, according to Revelation, and will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, 
Why? What is the purpose? Well, the purpose of the church or the work of the ministry is to build up the body of Christ. And I know many times probably the least piece of information that you read could be on the bulletin, but it'd be interesting to note that on a weekly basis in our bulletin regarding our fellowship here, it says there are many ways to serve the Lord at Calvary Chapel Northwest. We believe that everyone has been blessed with giftings from God, that we are committed to train and equip our fellowship to use those gifts in and through the body of Christ. All of our service flows from fellowship with one another so that the best way to begin is by meeting with the pastor or one of the leaders. Share your heart with them. See how God might lead you to be involved. And it's based out of fellowship. Now, when we're looking at this, and we look in verse 13 of our text, Ephesians 4.13, we're going through this. We're looking at the walk and the grace of his gifts. There's the specific gifts. Now we're going to look at the, the ministry. Verse 13, it says, Until we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, that we may what? Grow up in all things unto him, Jesus, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or the building of itself in love. Now, it's a great illustration this morning with Mark. By the way, we were in back earlier, so we have a little children's fellowship in back. So it's a, a mini part of what we do out here just for about 20 minutes. We're back there and being able to pray, encourage, and bring a little bit. But Mark had shared in back regarding the incident when he's up on the forklift and he's wanting to get a, a phone call to me, probably just to say hi, it was nothing urgent. And I saw him calling and basically wasn't ready to take a phone call at that time. And this was a, a few years ago. But as he stated, it put a seed within his own heart. And what that means is this. This is how this works, okay? So when a seed gets in your heart, now, he has no idea what was going on in my world. It's just from his perspective. When at that moment, as he confessed, it was a pretty selfish perspective. But, you know, I think he was very sincere to touch base. No doubt about that. But just stay with me. Because what we're trying to do is, an, is accomplish an eternal work for the kingdom of God and it takes this team to do it. And it takes the unity and the love. And people can say love and unity all they want, but it gets down to these little incidences that happen because there's a spiritual strategy that is taking place. So just as there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Holy Trinity, we live in a world with an unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and Satan in the demonic realm. That's the unholy trinity that's working against the holy trinity of unity. Do you follow me on this? So just stay with me because it's a great illustration. So for Mark, when that happens and you let that sink in the heart and feel like, wow, if that's what my pastor does, doesn't, doesn't take my call when I call. 
And so that's in the heart. So what happens is people will continue to come to the fellowship because they love everybody else but the pastor. I mean, that's just the reality. That's how it goes. So, and then, you know, as a pastor, you're trying to do this work of ministering, believing in love and and doing whatever else. You have no concept of an incident that took place because there was no ill intent or whatever else that was going on. So these are these, and it's a real simple cursory thing. You just multiply that though times many, times many, times many, because all of this happens within the body of Christ. It happens within your own families. It happens within your marriage. So many times the conflict in the marriage was something very simple that really wasn't talked about or worked through or understanding gain. There was no understanding, and therefore it leads to this great division. So the enemy wants to work in a divisive way as. The word of God is saying, be united. The enemy is saying, be divided. God is saying, speak the truth in love. And the enemy is saying, no, let's use those ways of the world. Let's be, you know, you remember how to be deceptive and you know how to, you know, cunning and all that. You know those things. You live that world. You played the game. Work your way. Work your way in the fellowship. Work work what you want for yourself. And the bottom line is that we are built up or that we grow up in love. So what we must see and what we must admit to is that many times, regardless of our age, regardless of how long we made that commitment to Christ, those chronological numbers mean nothing when it comes down to, are you grown up spiritually? And how we know that we're grown up spiritually is that we're able to respond to people in love. We're able to just come alongside. I'm sorry, probably misunderstood what... uh, you, you might have said or whatever, you walk it through in, in love. But what we have raised a culture and we're raising a culture, we're living in a society that anything of truth that's confrontive many times is perceived as being intolerant. Well, the truth is the word of God and when you yield yourself to the word of God, your flesh doesn't like it. And so then you might turn to another passage or you might, in your own thinking, justify your sin and then draw other people around yourself. Again, the strategy of the enemy is to divide your marriage, which God created, divide the fellowship, which God created. Those are two things that he brought into existence. And he's looking to divide those and to put a wedge in. And he's going to use... His means to cause this to happen. So these are the battles that, that we're, we face. So we've got an eternal work. We're absolutely sold out to it. We're excited about it. It takes a body of believers that are growing in faith. They're trusting God. They're following God. They're growing up in their walk with the Lord. And then we get to verse 17. And it tells us in verse 17, as we, we want to experience this walk in victory over the past, Verse 17 says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you, okay, so all of us individually, he's speaking to us as believers, the old you, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And that is in the aimlessness of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alien from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, or your Bible may say the hardness of their hearts. Look at verse 19. Who being past feelings have given themselves over 
to lewdness, to the work of all uncleanliness and greediness. What he's saying is as a new believer, you're dealing with your life, your mind, your past. And you knew what it was like to live in the world and to be a part of the world. And he's saying, stop. You cannot go that way anymore. You're different. That's the old you. We're going to see in a moment where to put that off and put on the new man. But if you would just look and to see, again, the strategy of the enemy is revealed to us because the enemy wants to darken our understanding. The enemy wants us to have aimlessness in life. And without Jesus Christ, no matter how responsible somebody is, without Christ, I find it no difficulty in saying your life is purposeless. It's aimless without Christ. Because think about this. Without Christ, if Christ was not in my life, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. I would be pursuing the things that would gratify me, no matter how sincere I might be and how much I would abide by the laws that we have. Bottom line, the life is about our personal pursuits and happiness. When we come to Christ, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about serving others. So the enemy wants to deal with our mind and steal away a sense of purposefulness. That's what the enemy's doing. That's what he wants to do to your children and your grandchildren. He does not want them to have a spiritual purposefulness for their life. He wants to distract them, lead them away, draw them over to other pursuits. And it's taking them away from God's call on their life. Verse 18, the understanding becomes darkened. In other words, there's many brilliant people in this world, academically brilliant people, no doubt about it, talented and brilliant people, no doubt about it. But in terms of spiritual realities, their lives are darkened because they can be absolutely a genius and brilliant, but your knowledge of God and your understanding of God and your ability to see clearly, they can't. It's darkened, and that's the enemy's strategy is to darken the world and the life. And notice again, if you follow with me in verse 19, I find this very interesting. It says, who being past feelings have given themselves over. I believe that the Lord has put within us a conscience. And our conscience from a very young age, our conscience is a a kind of a, a governing mechanism that God has put into every person. So the conscience that we have, and even in the young children, you could see their conscience. They're going to look, and then they're going to look at what they shouldn't do. They're going to look at you and what they shouldn't do, and they can't even talk yet. But there's, there's, a, there's something going on that God's put within them. It's their conscience. Now, as believers, as Christians, when we're training our children, we want to affirm the godly conscience, and we want to correct the ungodly conscience. So the Bible even speaks about there can be a time in your life where your conscience is seared. It's not working. So, you know, you can hear people on interviews that have done devastating crimes and they'll say they don't have a conscience. In a lot of ways, that's true because that conscience became darkened. And what happens in our life when we feel guilty, that's from God. So we feel guilty, the conscience, I'm guilty. And in all of that, that should lead us to Christ. But the enemy will come in and he'll twist all of that. And what he wants people is not to feel guilty. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. 
He wants to take that away. A sense of a consciousness of right and wrong. So our society develops new rules. Ungodly rules. Ungodly rules. And it accommodates this. So you feel okay. Well, it's not that bad. I mean, we can do it. It's approved. I'm not going to jail. But you just are violating everything of God. And the sensitivity between him and you, it's gone. And he's saying, look it, we're new. That's the old you. Let's leave that behind. Verse 20, but you, you haven't learned this because you're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you're a different person. Here you go. There you go. There he is. There you see this guy. This guy lived outside. He lived in the world. He loved the things of the world. That was his life. He loved it. But there was a time where he came face to face with God, came face to face with Jesus, came face to face with the reality of his life. But he lived apart from God, outside of God, had no part of that. But the loving kindness of God kept drawing him and drawing him. And he would move away. But the loving kindness of God, because he's very, very, very patient towards us and very merciful towards us. And the loving kindness of God brought him face to face with Jesus. And he deserved punishment and condemnation. But Jesus says, no, I love you. I saved you. When I went on the cross, it was for you. For me? Yes, for you. (laughs) Only for you. Really? Yes, I'm the personal savior. I died for you. Just me? Absolutely. Just totally for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. What do I do now? Well, you're actually now living a life that's in Christ. You're in Christ. That's what Ephesians is about. I'm in Christ. So wherever Christ, I'm in Christ. He says, he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I'm in Christ. And the world is going, yoo-hoo. Remember the times that we used to have? Huh? Yeah, kind of. You're in Christ, okay? Those are not the times that you're going to go back to. Let me take a peek again. No peaks, okay? You had enough of it. Your life is now in Christ. Colossians says we're hidden in Christ. And if you can think about that, you're in Christ. His Holy Spirit has sealed you. The deal is closed. We're in Christ. So all these things of the world are coming upon us, but I'm in Christ. Even though I live in the world, I'm in Christ. And so in verse 20, those are the things that we learn. 21, if indeed you have heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So what are you going to do? You're going to put off your former conduct, the old man. You're not going there anymore. And that's why we take great issue, I do, with Christians that want to patronize in this old life, in this old world. They want to go back to those old places. They want to hang out in those old places. They want to declare it's their liberty. I'm saying, don't go there. You're in Christ. You used to be there. You're in Christ. That's the old man, new man in Christ. I can't help myself. Absolutely. But Christ is in you. And you're in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's in you. And you need to yield to him and to his truth. And so we see then, we're going to be verse 23, renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, what do you do? Well, you put on the new man created according to God, in his true rightness, how do you do that? How do you put on the new man? We're doing it right now through the word of God. You'll see in verse 25, therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Great. So don't be a liar. It says be angry. Oh, good. I could be angry. I am so good at being angry, but do not sin. How do you do that? How do you do that? Jesus, I need your help. Jesus demonstrated that, by the way, when he moved those tables over. There's a thing as righteous anger. So we are, in terms of just 
the wildness of sin, there is this anger, but you cannot sin. Now look again, I told you about the spiritual things going on. Verse 28, it tells, or 27, nor give place to the devil. So the devil is working in the midst of all this. The devil wants to get in into every place. We're going to see in chapter 6 the battle that we have before us. The devil wants to take away our life, our purpose. He wants to steal it from our, from our children, from our youth. Let him who st- stole steal no more. Or rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good. And that's true. When you come to Christ, it's no longer about ripping somebody else off. If you're in any place that you're at, be the best worker. I want to be the best pastor I can possibly be. I go home after the week and I pray and say, God, how, how can you use? How can you teach me? Lord, how can I be more fruitful? Every Christian should be the best employer and the best employee around. That that is the number one way to give God glory and to be a great testimony. Your hard work. And when you work hard, then you want to share. It's not about your consumption. It's sharing. Verse 29, be careful. This will come in our study about husband and wives coming up. But let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But is what is good and necessary for edification. That's building up. In other words, you have something that you want to say. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just a concern that I have. What's a concern? Well, it's just about the pastor. That's a concern. Oh, really? About the pastor? I'd love to learn about that concern. Well, what about that concern? Well, I called him on the phone. And he didn't call me back. It's just a concern. Maybe we should pray about that. See, see how things can go? Right there, And you see how the enemy, you're given a place for the enemy in verse, you know what? What it should say is, in verse 29, it just should say, zip the lip and build up the body. Just zip the lip and build up the body. That's really what it's saying in my footnotes. Okay, <laughs> sorry. And I must admit, I am biased. So, verse 30, and then it says, okay, I, I really want to cooperate with God, but verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Really? You can grieve the Holy Yes. How? Well, verse 31 helps us out. With bitterness, hmm, wrath, anger, clamor, and the clamor is the gossip, evil speaking. And it says, what do you do with these? You, you put them away from you. They're not a part of your life. And with all malice. Okay. So if that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So if you feel like your life is powerless. You wonder where the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit in my life? You wonder. Have I been grieving the Holy Spirit? Is there things in my life right here that actually. Yeah, that, that could be true. Then we need to repent of them. And notice in verse 32. It just hits it out of the park on 32. What, what, what would I be? What would a spirit-filled believer in the body of Christ, what would that be like? Well, it would be somebody that would be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Isn't that great news? Amen. Let's stand. We're going to uh, conclude with one worship song, but as you're standing, I'd like to pray. As you're standing, Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have called us in, in chapter 2 to be your workmen, We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, but now you're showing us what the work is and what the walk is. May you use this worship song to help us, Lord, to lighten up our hearts, to realize, Lord, so thankful for saving me. I do not want to contaminate my life, my mind, my family, our fellowship. We want to be working in unity with your spirit for the kingdom of God as we head towards that finished line. As Isaac prayed earlier too, if anyone has yet to really 
Make yourself right with God by asking for forgiveness. Use this worship song. Say, Jesus, I am not right with you, and I want to be right. Repent to the Lord in your own heart. In Jesus' name.